and welcome to Cherry Podcast for real estate and construction, where we will be discussing trends and market dynamics, as well as tax and accounting tips that could impact your business. Today, specifically, we are discussing the fifth segment of our Opportunity Zone Fund series on how to optimize alternative capital sources. My name is Ron Wainwright. I'm a partner at Cherry Beckert, and I'll be co on the podcast today with one of my colleagues, Peter, who will introduce himself. I'm our national leader of credits and accounting methods. I physically am in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and we appreciate you all listening to the podcast today. So let me allow Peter to introduce himself. Yeah, Ron, glad to join you today. Um, and like you said, my name is Pete Byford. I'm with, um, I'm a senior manager with Cherry Beckert, specifically in the Tax Advantage Group team where we work uh, primarily with new markets tax credits, although we also work in the historic tax credit and opportunity zone segments. Um, And kind of excited to be here talking about capital stacks today. So to kind of kick it off, Ron, um, in the current opportunity zone environment, what are you guys seeing as as what I would call the, the sort of traditional basic opportunity zone capital stack? And then more broadly, how much OZ capital has been raised so far? So thank you, Peter. Um, what I would comment, and I'll I'll kind of reverse the question a little bit because I think it'll give some context into the opportunity zones. Um, so to date, uh, through August uh, really of 2020, the most recent information we have within opportunity zones across the 8,700, there's been approximately $14 billion of capital that has been contributed into qualified opportunity funds. So a significant amount uh, since January 1 uh, of 2018. Um, What I would comment of what we're seeing in that opportunity zone environment um, is the traditional capital stack very much in the beginning, really the first 18 months, was what I call family and friends, qualified opportunity zone capital stacks. And and once we got really beyond that first year and a half, so really in the middle of 2019, we began to see significant contributions being made uh, by, uh, you know, very large equity investors, uh, specifically when you think about, uh, you know, uh, syndicated opportunity zones, uh, as well as very large uh, financial uh, institutions beginning to make some contributions, some qualified plan contributions. So the traditional capital stack that we're seeing right now um, is changing dramatically from where we were in the first 18 months. So Peter, if I can, let me reverse the question. Um, What's the traditional capital stack that you all are seeing in a new market tax credit transaction? And what is the potential synergy when we think about opportunity zone capital in the context of the new market tax credit transactions? Yeah, great question about the synergy, Ron. Um, so in in the traditional new markets capital stack, we are um, seeing Typically, the owner or the project sponsor is bringing some amount of equity to the table, sort of their skin in the game. Um, Many times, especially in for-profit real estate development, we'll see additional investors 
that are bringing capital looking for particular rates of return or IRRs. Um, and then we're also seeing permanent debt uh, and everything gets capped off with a slice of new markets tax credit equity. Um, the traditional new markets capital stack. What's what's it nice is with opportunity zones being overlaid on new markets qualified census tracts. There's always an opportunity for participation um, or or joint funding, and um, where projects receive allocation to generate new markets tax credits, but have additional costs that either can't be financed with new markets or are in excess of the amount of new markets uh, funding available, Opportunity Zones capital can slide directly into those projects to um, perhaps finance equipment, perhaps complete the real estate development capital stack uh, and, and sit beside your traditional investor equity and, and debt in the transaction. So um, what's really nice, new markets have a minimum hold period of seven years. Of course, OZs have that slightly longer 10-year hold period, but both programs are designed for investors that are looking for a more long-term invest and hold strategy. So, so they pair well together um, in ways that, that maybe build and flip development doesn't work quite as well with opportunity zone capital. So, Ron, you've been kind of tracking uh, OZ capital and, and how it's feeding into things. What would you say the geographic and equity sourcing uh, with respect to investor types in, in these opportunity zone deals has, has looked like recently? A great question, Peter. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, the first 18 months are very different than what we're seeing now, even within a COVID-19 environment. Um, it is a significant uh, capital raise out there. So when you think about geography, we'll start there. What, what we're seeing uh, nationally when you think about qualified opportunity funds is really only about 38 funds exist um, when you think about nationwide funds uh, that are going to make investments into broad geography across the United States. Um, interestingly enough, uh, to my 18-month comment in the beginning, the, the largest number of funds are single city funds uh, coupled with multiple city funds. Uh, so that represents about 150 funds uh, out there that are really focused on the local investment as well as the geography being uh, those surrounding cities. Um, now, we do see about 25 funds out there, which would be more regional uh, funds. So you might be thinking about the Southeast region as an example. Uh, and then we see about 18 funds nationally that are across uh, just one or two states. And we refer to those as uh, kind of multiple state funds. Uh, to the question in regards to what we're seeing around equity sourcing, again, it's shifting from what I call family and friends to more of an institutional uh, investor. Uh, we see large financial entities. We see large uh, financial service firms. We see qualified plan uh, dollars. Uh, and I would point out that it's, it's, it's very interesting to me in regards to where that capital is, is being deployed. And so the commercial uh, investments um, 
of one or more multiple uh, real estate assets in a qualified opportunity fund it is the largest uh, of that $14 billion, $15 billion seen uh, raised uh, up to August 20th. Uh, so, um, Peter, let me ask you this question is from the standpoint of knowing the new market tax capital stacks and you all are providing gap financing to to projects and communities and, and understanding about 70 to 20 percent uh, are what are referred to as CDI funds. You know, what are the alternative capital stacks representing that balance that you're seeing of 80 to 83 percent? Yeah, so um, for those of you who know a little bit about new markets, um, one of the things that that the typical structure requires is that all the funding be available on the on the kickoff closing financing day uh, to leverage the project's typical sources of funding with that um, new markets equity from an investor to to fund the transaction and generate the tax credits. And so we see a variety of things work into that 80 to 83%. Of course, the same things we talked about earlier with traditional investor capital, permanent debt. Um, but a lot of times we'll be working on a nonprofit project where they've gone out and raised, you know, seven, $8 million of, of charitable contributions. But those typically come in in the form of a pledge to give money over time and so there's a pretty robust market of bridge lending uh, to cover those capital sources on the on the front end until they can be collected over the the next couple years of the project which really gives a an accelerator to to the nonprofit um, but then there are lots and lots of what I would call more non-traditional sources that we've seen leveraged in um, everything from grants to state incentives. We've seen projects take advantage of pilots payments in lieu of tax in order to to get their project costs in line. And then, of course, there are other tax credits that can also be um, leveraged in. So different examples of state tax credits like the South Carolina um, abandoned building tax credit or the Georgia film credit um, or state historic tax credits or state new markets tax credits can all be um, funded and financed and and maneuvered into a new markets tax credit transaction to cover that balance that 80 to 83 percent that gets funded outside uh, in addition to whatever equity the new markets investor brings in. Um, and Ron, you know, we can use all of those alternative tax credits like HTCs, um, PTCs, production tax credits, uh, and state credits. Now, in, in the new markets world, we can't take advantage of LIHTC, but I know that Opportunity Zone Capital can also be enhanced by um, historics or low-income housing tax credits or energy credits and, and similar things. What are you guys seeing in capital stacks and, and what are the real implications or values for investors when when you can bring those multiple products together at once? It's a great question, Peter. Um, and that is what we're seeing. Uh, as we discussed, there's there's a lot of synergy when we think about new market tax credits and the gap financing and then 
how that uh, additional 80 to 83 percent of capital is rolling in and how you all in an NMTC are using that. We're seeing the same when we think about the opportunity zones. Um, so again, uh, the opportunity zone, I'll say spectrum is changing uh, from the first 18, 18 months since January 1 of 18. Uh, to really through July of 19 and now into obviously uh, the the 20 and, and 21. And, and so what we're seeing is uh, a lot of historic tax credit opportunities, as you mentioned. And uh, just as a reminder, you know, that HTC program is an indirect subsidy to finance the rehabilitation of historic buildings. Um, and so a number of the opportunity zones identified nationally uh, were in uh, blighted areas. Uh, Detroit, Michigan comes to mind, some areas of downtown Atlanta. And so when you think about those sectors and uh, obviously a lot of those uh, cities um, have historic buildings and the HTC is just an additional credit on top of the already uh, tax advantages of investing in a qualified opportunity fund uh, above and beyond the normal operating tax consequences. Uh, we also are seeing from an energy, you mentioned the production tax credit, we're, we're seeing uh, a lot of opportunity zone uh, capital being deployed to utilize uh, energy uh, because some of those zones obviously are very rural. Um, so when you think about the Midwest, um, we're seeing wind production tax credits uh, and other energy solar farms, as an example, taking advantage of capital coming in, then the investment in uh, to very specific uh, real estate assets. Uh, and then to your comment, you all cannot use the LIHTC, but when we see opportunity zones, that was one of the intent in regards to low-income housing tax credits. Um, and so we're seeing a, a significant capital credit stack occurring. So capital's coming in and then you're stacking credits on top, whether that be an HTC or an energy or, or a LIHTC. Um, so there, ultimately what happens, of course, is the return on investment, uh, given the accretion goes tax-free after that 10-year and one day in that, quote, asset in the Qualified Opportunity Fund. Uh, we're seeing the return on investments of Qualified Opportunity Funds through these credit stacks um, just ultimately multiply that investor's return on investment. Uh, so let me uh, ask this question, Peter. Um, so knowing new market tax credits um, is attracting uh, the CDFI funds, uh, where it, it's very important when we think about those funds being investors of social impact. Um, what are you all seeing with respect to the new market tax credit areas um, in combination uh, with, with opportunity zones, uh, recognizing that the new market tax credit has been in significantly and the opportunity zone areas were drawn on top or the opportunity zone were drawn on top of the new market tax credits areas. And so what are you seeing in the implications to investors that, that are those social impact investors and maybe not chasing that ROI? 
Yeah, and that that's um, something we're really excited to see coming from the new markets world where community impact is measured and sliced and diced uh, 12 different ways and by, by the community development entities and by the CDFI fund, all for, for good reason. Um, we're beginning to see waves of social impact investors who are taking advantage of the Opportunity Zone benefits, but are not necessarily looking for peak return. They're looking for reasonable return, but a part of the return they're measuring is that community impact. Um, some of the some of the first movers we've seen have been banks who have set up their own large institutional OZ funds that they typically pair with transactions where they're putting debt or other new markets or LIHTC investment into the transaction. And basically what they're doing is using those tax advantaged opportunity zone funds to add equity, reduce debt, and effectively buy down the cost of capital to the project in a way that allows the project to cash flow. So, you know, one example that that we were, um, one of our CDE partners was a part in Newark, was a project where they were putting in um, housing and mixed use uses um, for artists' lofts, among other things. And the project itself simply didn't cash flow with the historic tax credit equity, the new markets tax credit equity, the sponsor equity, and the remainder filled with permanent debt at, at market rate. And so the lender in that transaction, which had its own opportunity zone fund, was able to come in and structure the transaction so that they added several million dollars of OZ equity, which pulled a preferred return of about 3%, which was significantly lower than the cost of debt in that transaction. And um, by taking an equity risk and receiving an equity return, they were able to get the cash flow down to a level that supported the permanent debt that was needed for the project. All in all for the project, you saw about a 20 to 30% reduction in outbound cash flow. Um, for, the, for the investor, you saw a 3% preferred return, a really great community impact, all of the OZ investment benefits. And for the debt side of the transaction, now you had a reasonable debt service coverage ratio that got your chief credit officer and your underwriters and your frontline commercial lenders comfortable with extending the credit. So that was a place where we took advantage of multiple things, new markets bringing some value, historic tax credits bringing some value, OZ bringing some value, um, and everybody in the transaction also got a really nice return on it. Um, we're also seeing some of the larger CDFIs uh, in the country partnering with some of the larger corporations in the company to manage uh, the the opportunity zone investments for those larger corporations, all of them are seeing a need and a desire and have a desire to address things that are that that have have really for forefront over the last six eight months have been have been growing over time. But these concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion 
one of the ways that corporate citizens are attacking uh, those concerns and those problems is by creating investment vehicles to really bring large amounts of capital into low-income communities, which ties nicely into the goal of opportunity zones and the goal of new markets tax credits. And when they partner with CDFIs who have a history of sponsoring and measuring impacts, I think we're really going to see some some great transitional projects over the coming years. Very good. Well, on behalf of Cherry Beckert's Opportunity Zone team, I want to thank my uh, co-podcast uh, presenter today, Peter. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, we hope you'll join us for our final episode in this series, uh, where we will be discussing the opportunities and pitfalls in OS structuring. Uh, if you have any questions about anything covered today, uh, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We, we thank you for listening. We hope it's been uh, informational, educational, and more importantly, gave you some energy around understanding the synergy between opportunity zones and what is occurring when you think about uh, the capital stacks. So, uh, Stay tuned and we hope you'll uh, join us for the sixth segment. Thank you.